Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Now start. <laughs> here, here, now start. Now start, Sasf. Here it, Sasf. What are we discussing today? What we're talking about today is, is why specifically the appeal of of bad guys so this is a question from a from a mom okay. who was watching her son and saying just trying to help calibrate he really wants to be darth vader you know and this is a little guy not a not an older guy but i've actually seen that exact same temptation happen with much older guys especially in the deviant art space or you know you go you go into any sort of it's it's so much easier to do the dark side than it is to do the light side that's kind of where where I think this episode will go, but I've thought it would go particular places before, <laughs> and it did not. So we'll just start with the softball. What do you do with a little boy who loves playing the bad guys in a particular story? Darth Vader, you know, Lord Garmadon, if you're familiar with Ninjago. Uh, He's got snake body and forearms, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we all have to admit that Darth is is way cooler. I mean, he's way cooler than Luke. Yeah. By a lot. So, I mean. In fact. I can't imagine not having a little boy who didn't ever walk around doing them. Yeah. You know. Right. Of course, everybody has to do that. I mean, his opening scene is blasting into this ship and just laying waste. Yeah. To a bunch right. of dudes that we don't yet know are good guys. Yep. And And so you have. A, a unflustered, calm, you know, powerful guy. He's not skittish and hyper and running around and scared. Uh, he's very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, so for a little boy to play Darth, um, for a little boy to never play Darth would be weird to me. Mm. That would just be really, really weird. I can't imagine. Right. Um, at the same time, I understand the concern if it's constant. <laughs> if the same little boy wants to play Voldemort, um, right? Don't let him read Paradise Lost. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, um, listen, Shelley had a point. Satan is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it is. It's tricky, but it also tells you that your stories are a little wobbly. Your stories are a little broken when there's more masculinity in the villain right because so luke gets what's well there's a question where does luke get cool does he well i think once he gets his hand chopped off yeah he, i would say the hand chopped off is cool but yeah. not really the chopped off so much as the new robot hand right right where like the, he, he's he's screaming and crying and holding onto a pillar so that's still not the best but then when he's back on scene i feel like in that third movie how old is this kid I, I don't remember. I, I think very small. I think I think we're talking like, I'm guessing six. Six. Because uh, I was I was going to go ahead and do a risky diagnosis. You should do it because I, <laughs> I don't remember. Depending on parental discretion, obviously applies. But one of the things I would do here is I would show this boy the Matrix. And oh wow, <laughs> see see if you'd rather be Neo or the agents. Yeah, you know. So that's what I would do. Filters. <laughs> and this episode brought to you by Clearplay. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, um, I don't I don't know how old this kid is. But you're but the reason you're making that diagnosis is because the Star Star Wars has failed to capture his imagination on the yeah on the um, Luke side. Yeah. So can we show him a really good guy who a also guy is who's, extremely cool? But see, a, a big part of that is just somebody who's really disruptive. Um, somebody who's disruptive and inside of a system that then becomes is is the hero, is the heroic character overthrowing the man. Mm. Because the the thing is that when villainy is the man, and this this is ultimately what it comes down to. So Darth is is a unique thing. We can talk about Darth separately, but when the villain is uh, oppression, infrastructure, bureaucracy, uh, and you have that hero who is the, you know, the fly in the ointment, the sand in the gears, that hero who, who disrupts the whole thing, that's super easy to relate to. And as a result, a ton of people end up relating to that renegade heroic character when that's an anti-hero. So you end up with Satan, Paradise Lost, you end up with, uh, you know, old West gunfighters, Billy, the kid, mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of guys became fascinating because they rebelled against the overarching system. And they were, you know, they were contra mundum. They were one man against the world. Mm -hmm. And that, that renegade structure is the structure of the gospel. It's the structure of the heroes of the book of judges. It's, I think again, remember all previous podcasts about structure does not sanctify something. So the shape of a thing does not tell you whether it's Christian or non-Christian. Mm, uh, so guy against the world messianic a messianic story a heroic single hero messianic arc is a structure and you mm. can swap in a villain you can swap in an anti-hero and keep that structure and the structure mm. does really help a character become very compelling uh, but an anti-hero there can be you know s suddenly people are falling for this anti-hero when they shouldn't be suddenly this darkness is being attractive and so that's I mean, for centuries now, that is that has swept Western culture and young boys who wanted to be outlaws. Mm. You know, so it can be Robin Hood, right? You know, where it's a good guy, and it can be Maximus. Uh, yeah. That's that's another one, depending on the age of this boy that I would show. <laughs> Gladiator, yeah. Gladiator. Um, you know, so you have the one against, like that one guy who just won't die. <laughs> yeah, that one guy who fights and and blows the whole thing up is a very, very compelling story. And ideally you catechize young imaginations with that story, with that shape, with good heroes that they can admire and respect. And so heroes like Robin Hood and Maximus and Neo, if you filter it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you only watch the first one. <laughs> so um that that kind of thing. So the question is Darth has a cool outfit and is scary. And I think that what you're discovering in the little boy is just that he likes a cool outfit and he likes the idea of being imposing and scary. And that's not a that's all healthy stuff. That's not a huge deal right, right. there. Now, what you if he really, really wants to play Darth Vader, he really is fascinated with being being Darth Vader, then help lay down a narrative for him. You know, tell a story of Darth's repentance and he gets to go kill yeah. the emperor. Oh, does that happen? Yeah, it does. You know, Darth, right. you know, does have this journey. So that one by itself, I I would not be concerned right. unless that was actually pervasively the case across multiple. Right. I mean, stories. Star Wars seems like they do that with a lot of them. Boba yeah. Fett is yeah. another is another example of yep. the coolest gadgets. Yeah. You know, he's and uh But I do, I really do think that if it's just Star Wars and Darth is fascinating, I wouldn't be concerned. If it's a if it's clearly an impulse that 
you know, walks across other, right. um, you know, other films that you have something. If, if you can show him Gladiator and he's rooting for Commodus, not Maximus, you've got a problem. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, if he's my... rooting for the agents, not Neo, you've got a problem. Um, right. And, and so on. When I've seen the little, my little, these are my really little guys now. The, the bad guys are also pretty scary sometimes. And so they're, what I've found is also the story of how you beat those kind of big scary guys yeah. has been helpful as well. Because oh, yeah. I've watched them where they, not, not Darth Vader so much, but other ones where you realize, oh, they're actually just not sure how you beat this yeah. bad character. How do you do it? Yeah. And as soon as they see it, they're like, oh, okay, I can play this other guy now. But before yep. they're like, I don't think this guy's beatable. <laughs> yeah. And if you're, if, if you're a kid, if you're telling this little boy the story of David and Goliath, if you're telling this, this boy the story of Samson, and he's rooting for the wrong characters, you have a problem. Oh, right. You know, there's, there's something to work on there. Um, and it's not a panic fire alarm. It just means you're going to have to catechize this kid with other narratives. You don't get to scold him with information. And this is probably the most important thing related to this podcast is you don't, uh, you don't grab them and shake them and, you know, and say, you're getting it wrong. That, that won't help you. What you need is to tell him stories that will help him fall in love with uh, heroism and nobility and the right self-sacrifice and the right virtues. So you want to replace the diet. It's more like we need to adjust the narrative diet for this kid. Yeah, so not think punish of- this kid. It's not about don't punish right. him. Give him the nutrition he needs. It's it's like being as upset that he doesn't have enough carbs in his diet. Sure, you know it's like just get get it right, um, and and it will take care of itself. So listen, I'm reading through Surprised by Joy, and C.S. Lewis is you know catechized and loved the Norse sagas, yeah. and those heroes are a good yeah. example of of a bunch of stories, Norse myths. For for me, a lot of the Greek myths felt that way too. Like, yeah, you know, depending on the virtue you're catechizing, but also as you get older, you also start- problematic in that they didn't work or they fail or the gods are you right. know, destroy them or fill in the blank. <laughs> and then later on, you start to I think I think we've talked about this before, but you realize how non-Christian the world was, like how yeah. pagan the Greek world is, and you're yep. like, oh yeah, I glossed over that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just skipping, skipping, yeah, skipping, 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 skipping. Yeah. Oh, it is. It really is a. I mean, this could all just turn into another plug for filtering. Um, but my kids saw pretty intense films pretty early. Mm. And just around which kinds of things they were allowed to see varied, you know, just in, in terms of the content as I gauged their frames and what we were watching and, and, and so on. And I was able to filter so much out. Um, and so, you know, the younger kids saw Die Hard pretty young. And uh, mm. huge portions of it were quiet. <laughs> like there's a lot of there was a lot of dialogue missing, um, right? And they saw the Matrix pretty young. They saw Gladiator pretty young. By pretty young, what do you what do you mean? Your youngest was there. Uh, it's a spectrum ten nine. Yeah, okay. You know, uh, but you know, twelve year olds watching functionally like our films. Like for violence and so on, but I've pulled out the obscenities and I've pulled out, you know, yeah. the, you know, the, all the, the sexual cracks and, right. and everything else and any skin and all that kind of stuff. So there was times when it was really lurchy, you right. know, when it was like, okay, sometimes it was like, yeah, why are we doing this? This is, this is 
defeating the purpose. It's not even art anymore. It's like, <laughs> you know, we're just kind of, we're kind of lurching, but um, then just movies like Silverado, you know, are great. Right. Like just, you know, yeah, I mean, not a bunch of language. You're not going to be dealing with a bunch of skin, bad guys wearing badges, good guys aren't. Yeah. And that is a, it's a great old classic story. Zorro or princess bride. I guess, you know, both of those. Have princess it. bride is a funny go-to there, but yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm just thinking lady I'm thinking, hawk. Yeah. Honestly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. The lady, lady hawks epic is epic. Uh, yeah, that movie was very formative for me. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. It was really... It's, <laughs> it's one of those things you can't forget. <laughs> no, it's just... And I can't... I really can't because it's my life. So Your life is Lady Hawk. Yeah, very much so. Okay. <laughs> Do we dive deeper? Do we dive deeper at this point? No, my wife and I joke because we, we frequently are... Uh, we do the Lady Hawk thing where I am um, just becoming like really conscious and working as she's passing out. And there's oh. like this... We exchange day and night, <laughs> and I'm functionally very nocturnal, and she is not. Just a normal human. She, yeah. <laughs> but the, the other thing is, I'm not unique in this. It just turns out that it's, I'm very cliche, actually. There's a lot of, a lot of creators are extremely nocturnal. Yeah. And dark for dark business. Yeah. That's just why, make, right? <laughs> just making the rest of the world shut up for a second so I can write something. Right. That's, that's basically it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking through a lot of children's stories have some very cool bad guys. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm thinking of Optimus Prime is pretty great, right? But they the, have to have cool bad guys. You but need the Decepticons. The cool guys. Decepticons, you clearly are revealing your own <laughs> taste here. Optimus Prime. I, I think Optimus Prime is better. Decepticons. Be you're, mov- you're moving into like, okay, the gadgety sci-fi right. side of things. Yeah. But, well, I mean, my kids watch, you know... Um, What's the, oh, no, I'm forgetting it. But Destructs versus Ty in the Dino Trucks, right? We're talking very gadgety and young. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Ty's really annoying, <laughs> <laughs> but Destructs is kind of cool. Um, I, I don't know. I just, as I started to think through this, this connected with another thing that I read where, that also shows us that we're right. Because C.S. Lewis said, problem with Dickens and Walt Disney is not, you know, not anything except for the characters that they think are good. Yeah. So their characters, their good characters are the ones where you can see their weakness. And it's just, a, I, w- I should have brought the quote itself, but it was interesting to read that after all of our episodes we've been going through. And you right. think immediately of Tiny Tim, yep. or you think of the Disney good guys, um, and they're just kind of weak. Yep. Um, or, or placeholders, they're cardboard. You know, Sleeping Beauty's Prince. No one has ever wanted to be Sleeping Beauty's Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I Hopefully. guess people have wanted to actually be- if your son was playing Prince Charming or is that it's that sleep is that Snow White is Prince Charming? You're asking the wrong. Yeah. Either way, he's charming, he's a prince. Right. Um, that might be Cinderella. I don't know. That t- that yes. t- actually yeah, yes, th- yes. that right there tells you all you need to know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's a cardboard cutout for the prince dude, right? right. Just like yeah. whatever. If you had a son who was desperately playing Sleeping Beauty's Prince. Or Prince Charming. I mean, dude, the alarm get bells. that kid a Darth Vader mask immediately. <laughs> the alarm bells are going <laughs> yeah. off. Help, yeah. that, help that guy like tap into some heavy that's, breathing see, and lightsaber that's so work. Interesting. That's really interesting. Because, that's way more dangerous. Right. Because so, he's being a fake good guy. We all recognize that Prince Charming is not really that good. Not yeah. something that you should be pretending to be. He's a, yeah, just a, a greasy little, what's it? 
Um, <laughs> There's but, the quote. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the Spider Mans too. You know, or Batman's. Yeah. With I. So the the thing with Batman, they definitely go more anti-hero. Um, but there's so many Batmans. You know, it's it's hard to say. Right. Um, but why is the Joker more interesting? So why, like, if you think about Christian Bale, Batman, and the Joker, like how people just veer towards the Joker and right. his his scenes, his you know his creativity there. Why is that? Why are people more fascinated with that? Well, I was hoping to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I think you had a good critique. I think he feels unbeatable. Right? Yeah. So he's so he's so clearly otherworldly and such a plot device that we can't see the way out of. Yeah. That I think that there's that aspect to him. So I think there the the narrative there's the narrative logic where the Joker is a cheat, right? Yeah. He's too omniscient. He can wire a hospital with explosives way too quickly. Yeah, Nobody can second. do that. Yeah. And it's he's borderline omniscient and then he discover we discover free will and turns out the basic goodness of man defeats him. It's like bleh. Um, right. boring, but everybody loves Batman. Like of the people who like superheroes, they they all get into Batman. Uh, Lego Batman definitely improved it all. Will Arnett uh, is too good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the Joker is so well played. I mean, Heath Ledger does such a great job. Yeah, like playing that character, and he's unpredictable, and funny, and transgressive, and you know breaking rules and so on. I think there's a lot of appeal there where Batman is so one-dimensional and so predictable. Even the voice. Yeah, exactly. Batman. But he's just, I think he's got like gadgets. Creativity, right? Jo- the Joker has yeah. a true creativity. And is, and is exactly. And is unpredictable and surprising and funny. And Batman is predictable, not surprising and not funny. <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know, very, very serious. Yeah. Um, I run because they need me to run. <laughs> Whatever. Um, it's like the opening of Boys of Blur, right? <clears throat> yeah, just exactly like it. It's, exa- it's exactly like it. So having a, I, I do, I mean, I, I do this in my own stories. I like having a weak character to start. Um, and I would say more like a character with a weakness, not a weak character. A so, protagonist, you mean? That has a... Yeah, you just call that a protagonist. Um <laughs> So if in Boys of Blur, you have a boy who's showing up here and he's got, you know, damage in his past. He's got hardship. He's got identity issues. He's got a stepfather, a birth father, conflict, abuse, all the stuff that's there. And he's got to get over himself and save the day. You know, it's like he gets to just move beyond his own, you know, his own issues and solve the problem that's out external. Um, with Henry in 100 Cupboards, he is timid. Mm-hmm. He's overly sheltered. He did not do that to himself. Yeah. So it's a it's a timidity that was done to him, imposed on him. He's grass under a board in the yard. You know, he's he's yellow grass. Um, and he has to rise up. He has to become strong. Um, my son was recently talking about a, a kid he knows and who uh, deals with a lot of hardship. And you know, there was it's not it's not a I don't have a lot of proximity to this kid. I don't have a lot of access to him, but there's a, there's a place where you, you realize, okay, there's all this external hardship, but you, you need to rise up and be a character and live your own story and have your own relationship with God and stop focusing on these hard things. Mm. 
these, and they're legitimately hard things, bad things, trials that happen to you and around you. You have to, as a character, get over it and then like break the cycle and go be a good character in your own relationship with God, no matter where you're coming from. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter the backstory. The backstory just gives you that initial hardship and that initial struggle. And then you still have to, you know, rise up and become a character. Um, and you have to stop misbehaving or being bad, whatever, and blaming your past. Yeah. Which is what everybody wants to do. We all, we all want to be able to right. mess up and, and then point at our past instead of rising up um, so through it. The, the quote that God takes you where you are, not where you should have been. Right. Is, it cuts both ways. Right. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you... Yep. You don't have to be somewhere you should have been if you've done everything. You're not right. off the hook. But the same way, you also do have to start where you are. Got to start now. Yeah. And you got to start where you are. And it's, I mean, this, this is, we can get into the war of wants and, and layering wants. And in coaching kids, it's really, really easy to see. But this is an adult problem as well. It's just a human problem. Um, people want to win. They don't want to work. People want to be wealthy. They don't want to struggle and suffer. They don't want 80-hour work weeks. They don't want to grind. Yeah. You know, they want the fruit of grinding without the grinding. They yeah. want the apples without the apple tree. They want, all of us always want stuff like that. And while it's true that God strikes with lightning uh, in funny ways sometimes, there's that uh, guy in New York who won $10 million on a scratch ticket. Right. And uh, then went back to the same store and won another $10 million on a scratch ticket. Really? Yeah. <laughs> same dude. <laughs> Same dude, same store, 10 million twice. Like, okay, God's funny. Right. You know, that's funny. And I'll, I'll tell you, weirdly, that's a hardship. Yeah. That's a, that's a weird hardship that guy's going to have to deal with. That's his struggle and suffering. And people are like, can I have that struggle? Yeah. I want that struggle. I don't want my diabetes. I don't want my bad family past. I want the, I want the struggle of millions of dollars. It's like, well, you actually don't. <laughs> like, Yeah, you go read those stories. You want some tragedy reading. Yeah. Those... I think I just, I see them floating around regularly of. Yeah, it's pretty grim. It's, it's how quickly you make an enemy of every single person you know when you win $10 million. Yeah. Like you don't have friends anymore. And, and also <laughs> we of course have Christ's caution about a rich man and, mm -hmm. you know, we have the, there's, there's so many struggles. And I would say as a parent, I would also say uh, having some success, it is harder to raise kids with a little bit of success than it is when you're poor. Mm. Like yeah. being poor dad's pretty easy. You focus on being fun, having fun. Um, you know, just a lot it's of, a lot of duty and what you can and can't do. Yep. And it's a lot, a lot of activity, but when your daughter says, Hey, can, can I have a pony? You can very easily just say, I'm sorry, honey, we can't afford a pony. <laughs> I, it's not me. Your father saying no. Right. It's just God said we don't have enough money or enough land to have a pony for right. you. So we can't have a pony and we're going to accept this from the hand of God. Suddenly you're a little more successful and you could buy your daughter a pony. Then you are the one saying no. You are the one saying no, you may not have a pony. Right. Um, or yes, you may have a pony. Like, you have to, like It's actually a, a trickier, a much <laughs> trickier thing. And you can go wrong either direction. Um, that's a little bit of a distraction, but it's funny. It really is funny. Like it was, it was much easier pre book deals. It was much easier pre writing and pre career building to just say, 
sure we can, you know what we're going to do? It's going to be super fun. We're going to go drive by other people's Christmas lights. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's going to cost me, like, you know, right. A couple gallons of gas. Um, yeah. And then, you know, suddenly you have more ability and, and you feel the pressure to do more and do more. And it's hmm. not necessarily wise to do more. Yeah. You know, it can be foolish to, to just ladle stuff on your kids, but you can. Right. And so you have to have the discernment and the courage and the wisdom to explain to them why you're not doing it and right. why you've withheld it from them. Um, all this to say, pivoting around into whatever story you're in, if you had a ton of money dumped on you and you're trying to raise kids, that would be brutal. You'd need to not tell them. Well, that's but actually that's actually <laughs> what I've seen. I've seen some people where their kids are wearing hand-me-down sweatpants and it's, you know, multi-million you know, a multimillionaire dad and the kids all think they're poor. That backlashes too. That is not work. Yeah. That goes really badly. <laughs> so right. yeah. Um, if you're the dad who's worth a hundred million dollars and you're telling your kids you're paying for your own college, like, no. <laughs> like it's, right. that's you're imaging God. Like you have to be gracious and you have to be giving, but you also have to be wise and you give like to their frames. You don't want to destroy them with gift. Um, anyway, well, it's been interesting to watch. Bezos was in the news for a while, you know, for about his approach to children, which was that they get no money after they leave the house. So I think he has a number of close to 30 year olds still in the house because yeah. as soon as they leave, you know, yeah. Uh, but, but while they're in the house, they're, I mean, he needs somebody everything. to babysit his mistress. So, yeah, right. I mean, he's, he's, he, he, Dude, he's, he his own, he's his own. fully ludicrous and, you know, <laughs> But the thing, all the money in the world, right? All the yeah. money in the world, and you, you blow up sideways. Elon Musk, obviously, hot mess of a personal life. Right. Um, for which we're thankful for professionally. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, in all, in all of this, wherever you are, you're a character now, and you're supposed to rise up. You're supposed to be heroic and sacrificial now, where you are. The backstories are the backstories are the backstories. And so, however, I get my kids... Oh, in my kids' fiction, into a situation, so in Ashtown, like you've got a mom in a coma and a dead dad and an older brother trying to take, <laughs> trying to take care of kids in a motel. Right. It's like lots of external hardship. And Cyrus is surly, and Antigone's overly controlling and protective as a result. So you you do that, and you put the pressures on them, and you you show where the pitfalls are and where the weaknesses are. And the key is that they have to grow through it. Like everybody's a seed with a different kind of combination of rock and soil above you. And it doesn't matter. You're supposed to grow up and find the sun and go. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's cedar bark or gravel or whatever. Get through it. Like chase the light. Yeah. Grow to the sun. Christy and I always joke about highest will. Yeah. Right. Because it's so easy to say, oh, man, I wish I read more books this year. I really <laughs> wanted to read 60 books this year or whatever. And, and it like, turns out you didn't wish that. Turns out yeah. you wished to watch highlights or sit on, you know, <laughs> sit on your behind or, you know, like, I watched a lot of reels of Larry bird, but I, you know, <laughs> you right. doom scrolled or whatever. Right. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a ton of pitfalls and it is, and that comes back to the, yeah, the highest will and what is wanting. And I, you know, I coach people when I coach kids, I tell them that wanting is action. Like <laughs> wanting is not a feeling. Like, don't tell me that you feel the sensation of wanting. Right. Like that's great. Want with your actions. And so show me what you want. Like live what you want. Um, you want to be closer to God? You know, I want to feel God's presence. Yeah, sure you do. <laughs> you know, there's right. What are you what are you doing? 
Like, are you sitting there feeling hungry, um, wanting, yeah. wanting food or are you making a meal? Like just go want it with your actions. Um, and so kids who want to win, they want to be fast. They want to win in track. They want to win in basketball. It's like, just show me your wants, show them to me with your actions. Do not tell me what you feel. I don't care. Your feelings do not matter. Mm. Um, and the, the key is to find for every adult and for every kid to find connectivity between the, the sensation of wanting, the feeling of wanting and the action. And so the closer you can merge those two things and the more you can link those up, the better character you're going to be in so life. Say that, say that one more time. Well, you're trying to get them that the, we, the feeling we have of like, oh man, I wish I, I wish I, I want, I want to have had, <laughs> I yeah. want, I want to have done this yeah. complex pluperfects and so on. Right. Uh, I wish that I had, I want to, I wish that I did. I wish that I was all of that stuff. What you want to do is compress as much as possible. The, we'll tell there's no gap between the emotion of, I want it. The, sens- the sensation of want and the action of doing something that will help of you doing get the that. thing. Mm. And so otherwise you are just the sluggard who won't even pull his hand out of the bowl. Right. Because that guy has his hand in the bowl of food and he wants to eat. Yeah. And emotionally he wants to eat, but he actually doesn't want it enough to move his arm. Yeah. Um, and so people talk about it in terms of wanting enough or feeling deeply enough. It's not about the depth of feeling. It's about the proximity of action to your feeling. Yeah. And how do you break down and compress the gap for most people between the emotional desire for a thing and the action required to have that thing? Yeah. Because the gross part about an iPhone or our entertainment culture is the ability to just transfer wants from thing to thing. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't. You can feel a want and then when you're scrolling, you're scrolling through emotions and you're not scrolling to an action. You're not getting to an action. Right. And action is uh, the only place where you truly express desire. And so your highest will, your highest desire is always manifested by your action. And so if you have conflicting wants, as we all do, right? Everybody does. We're contradictions. We're not computer programs. We're, you know, Mm. we're characters and stories, which means there's constant forks in the road. Uh, if you want to be in shape, it's like, I, yeah, I would love to be in shape. That'd be great. Wouldn't that be great to be in shape? It's like, well, I've made other choices. (laughs) (laughs) I've made other choices. (laughs) I've decided, I've decided to coach and try to meet deadlines and other things. And I'm not, um, I'm not dropping any of those things for a personal trainer in my own workouts. Um, I'm doing, I'm doing something else. I'm wanting something else more. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, yeah, I can control what I'm eating, right? And I do, but I'm not like in an intense program for myself and for my, you know, for my own, you know, my own physique. I am coaching a couple hours a day, boys who are chasing a basketball dream. And in the spring, I'll be coaching track. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I'll be, I'll, and I want that more. Like I do. Now, do I also have the want to go train myself and just train? Yeah, I do. And it's a smaller want than the, than the other one. <laughs> it is not um, the highest will. The de- yeah. The decision is, the decision is always manifested in action. The highest will already always, always revealed by action, not feeling. Yeah. Um, and so if you want to be thin and yet you actually ate cheesecake, it's like, which did you want? It's like, well, you wanted to not be thin. You wanted to eat the cheesecake. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's and I see this with people who want to keep the Sabbath but don't who 
want to be good characters, but still all make their decisions entirely selfishly. Um, still can't see outside their own little blast radius of pleasure. And, you know, they want to finish a book, but don't. They want to read a book, but don't. Yeah. It just means you didn't really. Right. So you, your highest will is always easy to spot. And it's what actually happened. Uh, speaking, speaking of characters in a story, uh, it, I did wonder about your thoughts on, we don't do a ton of current events, but the mm. beheading of the Satan statue. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was curious. To me, it seemed like a, a, a clear situation of seeing a bad guy and going and chopping it down, despite taking the bait of, of the people who put it up there in the first place. Um, but uh, I was curious what your thoughts were. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Seemed like a great move. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I might have tried to do something funnier, but it's hard to argue with it because it went so well. Yeah. And so it's... Right. I would have thought like, ah, that's not that impactful. Oh, it turns out it was that impactful. Uh, I will also say people who misread the story incredibly... That is what our podcast is about. Are, so. are those people who are deeply concerned about him having done that. And we need to have a neutral secular space where people can put up altars to Satan. Yeah. You know, we need that. Oh, do we? Like, we really, really? That's your vision? Right. Um, well, I think people just get so messed up in their head about fairness. They, they're so confused that they can't see the difference between destroying a nativity crash versus yeah. destroying... An altar to Satan. An altar to Satan. And the difference is the nativity is honoring the God of the world, the one who bought the whole place with his blood and is the actual emperor sitting on his throne uh, of this world. And the altar to Satan is uh, an altar to Satan. <laughs> so it's like they're, they're missing that. So I watch, I very briefly like scan some conservative Twitter and I watch people like Jenna Ellis yeah. scolding. Garbage. Um, scolding. I was kind of amused. But I was like, oh. Man, talk about a, a woman stuck in a paradigm of like 1980s right. republicanism and really classical liberalism. You know, liberalism. Yeah. Um, so you look at that and you say, this is no different than BLM people tearing down statues. Right. She's like, if you don't want people cutting off Columbus's head as a statue. Let me put it this way. And this is how you can prove to everybody that I am nothing if not completely fair and equitable in all things. <laughs> if communists... If BLM protesters, if LGBTQ protesters, if anyone had beheaded that, that Satan, I would have been in favor of it. <laughs> I mean, like, it's not. Yeah, that's fair, I guys. I mean, like, that's fair. <laughs> if BLM protesters beheaded Satan, I'd be like, good on you. You know, yeah. well done. Like to anyone, there's an altar to Satan in the state capitol and somebody took its head off. I'd be like, Go. Right. I'm going to, you know, I'm ready to dap them up, but mm -hmm. it's, you know, Im immediately. And so in terms of fairness, like, but, 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 but people tore down Columbus, but, 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 but right. people tore down Thomas Jefferson. That's like, I'll tell you a secret. Neither of those were altars to Satan. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, also, they weren't even altars. We, to yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to, we have to go apples to apples here. Right. So would I be angry if BLM protesters had done this? No, I would not. Oh, it's fair. It's fair. Done. Yeah, I would be 100%. That's equity. That this is post-war liberal consensus. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Um, no, we do not need, uh, we do not need some big secular uh, pantheon where we have statues to right. the devil and to Joseph Smith and Jesus 
and Thomas Jefferson. Right. We're not, I, I'm not interested. Yeah. And what's crazy, not this is that. exactly true about your, your higher will thing, because the governor of, of, of uh, Iowa said, I wish they hadn't put this up, but yeah. there's nothing I can do about I it. I deeply feel in my heart a wish that right. other people had not done this thing. <laughs> right. But the action there, I mean, or, or even just the process, they went through an application process to display an advertisement to Satan and no one along the way is like, sorry, you may not. Yep. There's... We're denying your application to display Satan. Denied. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I wish I could do something about it. But yeah, turns out rando guy goes, that just yeah. needs its head off. <laughs> uh, rando guy um, just takes the head off, put the head in a trash bag um, and preserved it gently by the statue. <laughs> then they got to some weird conscience compunction about not damaging property. But I mean, who cares? I think that we can all agree that taking its head off is damaging property. So bagging it nicely is right. irrelevant. Well, um, then someone went and put one of our stickers on it. Yeah, right Right shrine. afterwards, there's a can of breast sticker there's on the- Christ on is the, Lord sticker on the devil's face. <laughs> which, was, was, on the, you, was it on the know. severed throat or was it his face? I thought it was a separate part of the display. Another devil face on okay. the table with a nice- All I saw was Christ is Lord. So I was like, yeah, I guess it's okay now. Um <laughs> But it is, it is really interesting when, when people wrestle about these things and they try to make it complicated well, when it's just not complicated. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think so many people are stuck in that, but if they can do it, yeah, then we have to allow it. Like, I mean, David French saying that drag queen story hour is one of the blessings of liberty, right? Like a conservative guy saying. Yeah. Not a conservative guy. That's the important thing. A no longer conservative. Conservative, no, no, just conserving nothing. And sure, never was. He was in love with a big table at which everybody could participate equally. Um, You know, the pervs, the priests, the pervs, priests. (laughs) You know, it's like and pundits. And and, yeah, (laughs) and we go with pundits too. Um, Yes, everybody has a seat at the table. That's what we're looking for. Is everybody has a seat at the table? It's like. That is not what we're looking for. How could you have your head so far in a bad place that you can't see <laughs> that that's a problem? Uh, and well, because you, if you believe you buy into secular liberalism and neutrality, um, then you, you really do get yourself up a creek. If you believe in, um, like I've said before, I'm not a Christian nationalist. I'm really not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the nationalism word that I have a problem with. Uh, I'm a Christian imperialist. <laughs> so everyone was like, "What?" I, I thought, I thought yeah. Nate for sure would. <laughs> it's I, and I like haha joke joke. Except for I mean it. Like there is like if go listen to Handel's Messiah. It's a good time. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Like this is this world has an emperor. This emperor of ours because of Christmas has hands and feet and skin right now you could physically touch him right now he's not imaginary he's not an abstraction he is a literal emperor who purchased the world and is sitting on a throne that's the situation and there's no little sovereign pockets of this globe that get to say no we're going to actually be like, we're going to be neutral on who gets to be emperor. And so we're going to have a variety of statues. Just fill out this application, fill out an application. We'll put your statue up next to the other statues. Yeah. It's like, no, there's one emperor. There's one King of Kings and that is it. And by the way, 
That's what an emperor is, is a king of kings. Anybody who's over the kings is an emperor. Yeah. Um, and so we have an emperor, and he was born on Christmas to a woman, and he's still physical. He like the incarnation is still with us. He is still incarnate, and he's the emperor of the world. He is the king of kings. There's no other statues up next to him, like none. Down below, where he tells us. Uh, and I think a, a nation like ours can have freedom of religion. Uh, we're not st- supposed to go abusively uh, and criminally impose the right. worship of Christ on people. We're supposed to spread the knowledge of the Lord as the water, till the waters cover, you know, like the waters cover the sea. We're supposed to fulfill the Great Commission. But meanwhile, the only reason why we would not just go uh, commit arson against every little Church of Satan pocket where they bought their own little property and had their little stupid statue yeah. inside is because our emperor has told us not to. That's yeah. not how this is going to work. Yeah, it's not by force. Yeah. Now, when they do try to wedge any kind of idolatrous statue up or any kind of altar up into a realm where it does not belong. Or say your children's library. Yeah. Then just hard no. Like, we're not looking for neutrality in every space where any tax dollar has ever has ever been spent. That's not what we're yeah. pursuing yeah. Um, at all. Uh, it's it's important to note that a lot of things have happened uh, downstream constitutionally from the Bill of Rights, but the Bill of Rights was a restriction on the federal government, not on your federal your your fellow citizens, and not on states. Yeah, at the time of the Bill of Rights being adopted, various states who ratified the Constitution had official state religions. Yeah, they had denominations. They actually had their state denominations, and that was not seen as a contradiction. Right, funded by the state. Yeah, it was right weird. There. I don't like it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think it's, it's messy, and it's dangerous, and it gets dumb, but it was not seen as, like, no, we have to be neutral about who is the ruler of the world. The state of Idaho should not be neutral about who is the ruler of the world. There is an emperor. He's on his throne. Christ is king. And then downstream from that, uh, you are free to be deluded. Like, and we would like you to convert and we would like you to, you know, repent and be baptized and come to, come to the Lord's table with us. But because he's king, we're, we're not down here in this melee of competing world religions. He's up there. He's an emperor. And it's yeah. all, we're just going to win. Every, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. And that's, that is ultimately the power of Christmas. That's the glory of Christmas. That's what we're, that's what we're dealing with. And so in these situations, when people want little neutral spaces, secular neutral spaces, it's ridiculous. Um, and they, they argue from that. It's like, well, because there was tax money. Like, and there shouldn't have been. And that's right. dumb. Um, right. Okay, I get it. But there's no reason for a state to pretend like they have to be um, treating the devil and the son of God. Uh, well, as if they're twins, or even Columbus, and yeah. as if they're the same. Yeah, exactly. Type of thing. They're yeah. just they're just not. So yeah, as I, the truth matters. You know, it turns out, <laughs> turns out, and we aren't in a situation where we're trying to decide how to equally split up a town's p- property between a group of thriving Satanists and a group of thriving Christians. And even if no. we were, I don't know. People always want to take it to some sort of. You know, what if Muslims had 50% of the population and Christians had 50% of the population? What would you do with a mosque then? I don't know. It just feels to me like people want to jump yeah. to the most abstract situation without dealing with the one we have in front of us. Right. And it's, uh, 
It is it is just a very stupid impulse. But classical liberalism is dead. It's dead, it's dead, it's dead. And it's the progressives and the liberals who killed it. But it was always going to die. Yeah. And now the conservatives who think their job is to try to conserve anything that just died. The David <laughs> the David Frenches right. of the world are all trying to claim that classical liberalism is still alive and well. Yeah. And it's just not. Um, the other thing is, side note, the Church of Satan, uh, I know Idaho has a case, an abortion case against the Church of Satan. There's a, a, a rumble there. Uh, but overwhelmingly, these people are atheists. Yeah. And they're, they're just picking the most obnoxious thing. Yeah, they, have the- their gu- <laughs> they have their, their guise of religion because mm-hmm. they realize that they didn't have the protection of religion. And so they've assumed this mantle. And this, um, this group too was the, the group of Satanists who say Satan isn't real. Yeah. We aren't really worshiping him. We're just, this was a marketing display. The application went through and was allowed to go through just levels down of cowardice on the people approving but, this. Yep. But, but you're totally right. These guys are not, they're just trolling. Yep. Like they're just trolling and they're trolling uh, with powers. They don't understand. And that's what's scary. Cause yeah. can you imagine worshiping Satan and thinking he's not real? I will say that I've got a a friend in the music industry uh, who's a very successful guy and a believer. And he told me that, you know, most of his band and a lot of the musicians he plays with uh, are atheists. And he said, but they all believe in the devil. And they are all very, very, they've all had brushes. They've all lived their lives in a way that they're highly convinced of the reality of Satan. But they're atheists. How, how, how does that work? That's math. <laughs> well, like, this is what he—they're great at inconsistency. Yeah, but he <laughs> he needles them about that, and okay. they're like, yeah, they they believe in the darkness. They believe in the in you know right uh, the darkness and the Lord of Darkness. So they don't believe in the reality of light and the Lord of Light. Yeah, um, and that's what will happen to these stupid atheists too. They'll end up if you do this. You knock on that door. Guess what? You keep knocking on that door, bad things are going to happen. Somebody answers. Yeah, eventually somebody <laughs> answers, and it's going to be really bad. Well, um, this takes us all the way back around to what we talked about of the whole desire, the yeah. chasing after darkness and feeling yeah. the compelling nature of it. And then really that becomes yeah, – that that gets you stuck in a particular place. Yeah, and to really kind of circle all the way back to our little boy in the questions who likes Darth Vader too much or likes him just enough. We don't know, really. Um, it's really, this, is, this goes all the way back to Bible stories, Bible stories, Bible stories, Bible stories. Um, again, back to coaching. Again, like I, our mascot's the Knights, and I've told the guys they need to, they need to be nightmares. Like, that's what we're looking for. Uh, you look at the heroes of scripture. They are not chivalric guys. Yep. We're not talking about faux romantic chivalry. We're not talking about all the weird things that happened in the romantic era uh, and the Victorian uh, weird Victorian fixation with Galahad. Yeah. With knights and the concept of this chivalry that never existed. Um, We're talking about King David. We're talking about the kind of guy who's wanted to marry a girl. And the King said, I'll let you marry her. If you kill a hundred dudes and circumcise their corpses. (laughs) And, it's like, oh, <laughs> uh, you're going to go kill them and then perform circumcisions on dead men. That's your job. 
Does that sound gross to you? Is that sound like a deterrent to you? And David says, I'll get you 200. He also was thrilled because he's like, I can pay this one. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'll get you 200. And then he shows up in the throne room and counts them out in full tail. And it's like he counts them before the throne. We're talking about a guy who just killed 200 people, circumcised the corpses, and then is flinging the foreskins out, like counting the foreskins in front of the throne of the king. This is the man after God's own heart. <laughs> like, this is that guy. <laughs> um, okay. This is the guy who was young enough and a piece of work enough that he showed up to the battlefield in the Valley of Allah and saw Goliath and was like, what is the deal? Like, what is it? Why has no one killed this giant, uh, deadly dude? Um, and then when Saul's like, fine, and is going to send out David to his death, because sending David out to his death, think, think about the irrationality of this. Does he really think David's going to win? It's like, no, he does not think yeah. that David's going to win. But he, he is dealing with this champion calling out to them a ton and mocking them and taunting them and wanting Saul to come out. Send me your champion. Saul's the giant of the Israelites. He wants to fight Saul. Saul sends him an insult. He sends him this petty little disrespect of a shepherd boy. He wants to dress him up looking like a clown in the king's armor. Now, Saul's very big. And so putting a kid in, uh, in his armor, Over, oversized is, armor is an absolute insult. It's a troll. It's a joke. And so he sends a kid out to Goliath and Goliath kills the kid. So, mm. you know, and if uh, the kid happens miraculously to kill Goliath, I don't think that was even in the cards for Saul. Yeah. And so this kid shows up and Saul says, here, wear my armor. And David throws shade at the king and says, this armor is untested, which is. Your translations may vary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. But I think, I think. That's, oh, this is. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and there's a whole amalgam here. You should read multiple translations. Like, go read them. Read all the different yeah. translations and, and, the, and the disputes. But I really think that's what he's doing. I think David's throwing shade. He's not saying, oh, I haven't practiced in this, as the king's draping him in oversized armor. I think he's throwing a little shade. But yeah. David does not have a, has, there's no hesitation here. Yeah. Like, there is zero hesitation for David. Yeah. Which is nightmarish. I mean, that is a psycho little kid. Yeah. Um. And that's, that's what we want to be focusing on for our, for our boys. We want them to be that kind of boy. Uh, we want them to grow up to be the kind of kid who has a close relationship with God and fears no man. Like, that's the goal. Um, and that is not little well-behaved Galahads. Um, that's yeah. not Skywalker. That's a much scarier, a much scarier character. Yeah. Uh, a very difficult character to deal with. So. Anyway, Paul too, different version of it. Paul's quite a terrifying character. Yeah. This is a resilient fellow. Uncompromising. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How many times stoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a viper, <clears throat> you know, yeah. all those things. So remember Christmas, if you see uh, a statue of Satan with an altar in front of it near you, take its head off. You best believe I've got a bunch of boys who are really primed <laughs> i was like guys i don't think it's gonna happen but they're like please 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 yeah, somebody exactly. worship the devil exactly. <laughs> so, yeah that'd be fantastic there and uh we'll see if we get any blowback from my recommendation of um Showing gladiator matrix to the your, matrix <laughs> to filters filter filters people filters yeah. maybe not six-year-old but filters yeah peace
All right, I got two things for you. The second thing is that I'm going to show you our new Canon Plus video right after I get out of the way. Uh, if you're on audio, then you can listen to the script or view it on our YouTube. And then the first thing is that now through the end of December, you can get a year of Canon Plus and gift it to a friend or an enemy or a family member or both. Uh, for $59.99 instead of paying $95.88, which is more. You can do that by going to canonpress.com and clicking on the gift Canon Plus button. But you gotta go now, 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 or actually right after you watch this video. Enjoy. Hey, Christian Dad. Are you paying a monthly fee to let Hollywood producers pump their septic tanks directly into your living room? Even worse directly into your imagination and the imaginations of your children. How much darkness streams into your home every day, every week? Have you gotten too used to turning your mind off when you put your feet up? Have you invited your own enemies into your home? How much damage has already been done to you and to your family? My heart says that the way I feel most myself is to go by the name Fred. That's because I'm non-binary. Canon Plus is building a global platform with one simple goal, to create and deliver great content that will help Christian families grow stronger and more dangerous in the world. Content that will kick your brain's butt and help you bear down and step up. Content that will encourage, equip, educate, challenge, and inspire your family. Content built on the bedrock of real truth, real goodness, not fake trendy virtues. How dare you! And real lasting beauty. Your family might already be struggling. Maybe the man of the house has been sipping too much Bud Light Gospel in the basement for too long. It's day six of girlhood. But it's not too late. With thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, truth-telling documentaries, and curriculum for all ages, Canon Plus wants to help you grow stronger together with your family. There might be enemies at the gates, but there's a feast on the table to strengthen you for the fight. We want the resources we produce to help you do the real work of cultural change, becoming a lighthouse in your own community, armed with courageous joy and a faith that burns hot and bright, especially when the world would rather keep you on a cute little dimmer switch. We don't have to wallow in the world's filth. Moonlight, best picture. You ugly. We don't need to let our strength atrophy like numbed victims of some ungodly matrix leaving our families unprotected and vulnerable. It's time for Christian fathers to stop being such cultural cuckolds, well-behaved wonderbread winners sitting by and paying for the world to assault their families with lies. Let's get strong and grow our families strong. Let's raise our kids to be the world's worst nightmares. Smart, secure, fearless, joyful, difficult to control, and quick to laugh at lies and nonsense. <laughs> We're pushing back against the rising tide of sewage on our screens. We're pumping out antidotes to the world's poisons. But we can't do it alone. We need allies. You need allies. So consider this your invitation to join up and make things a little awkward for all our weaker brethren in church leadership. It's not that we're against anything. Who so badly want to be worldly cool kids. Help us build a streaming platform unlike any other. A platform that will challenge and strengthen Christians, mind, body, and soul, until this cultural tide begins to turn. 
She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be. And yes, this tide will turn. This ain't the Alamo. We're all gonna die, but we have no intention of losing. <sighs> Canon Plus. You don't have to subscribe.